Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. to Matthew 24, and we are going to wrap up our sermon series entitled, What Will You Do With Jesus? The question that is loaded and has kept us uh, unpacking for four weeks, and we could probably go on much longer, but we're going to bring it to a close today. And we started three weeks ago with, uh, what will we do with Jesus? We trust him. You know, and that's first, when we first come to Jesus, we trust him as our Lord and Savior, put our faith into him, and then uh, from there we move to worship him, which is another response that we need to do uh, with Jesus. We worship him as our Lord and Savior. And then Pastor Steve shared last week that we are to share him. We're not supposed to just sit on this good news. We're supposed to share this good news with other people, and that's what, uh, our, what we are asked to do by God. And finally today, we are going to uh, answer the question, what will you do with Jesus, by looking for his return. Looking for his return, the second coming, thus the, the revelation uh, portion as, as I hand it out. So, um, has anybody ever been to a uh, surprise birthday party for someone? Anyone? Has anybody been to somebody that was surprised? Okay. So... If you, if you go to the, one of these things, typically, you know, you've got to get this whole lowdown of where you're supposed to park, and you've got to, this person has to be gone, and you somehow got to get in, and everybody's rustling around waiting for the arrival of the birthday man or woman or boy or girl, right? Um, recently, somebody here in the church had one of these for, for someone here, and um, so we had to get into the house, their apartment, without them knowing, and I can't remember if we had a lookout or something, but, you know, somebody's watching or they know, you know, about the approximate time of the arrival of this person. And so in the meantime, and I don't know how about you if you're that organized, but it always seems like you're just hustling and you're, you're trying to get everything done, right, before because they left. And then as soon as they walk out the door, then it's everybody's moving, trying to set everything up and people are coming in. But there's an expectancy, isn't there? There is a, a looking for the entrance of this person of honor. Um, for the surprise, you know, and, and you, you have an idea of when they are going to be coming, but, you know, you are still on edge a bit and you're looking for their arrival because then as soon as somebody sees them or they're coming up the stairs and everybody's quiet, 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 and everybody gets down and they walk in and you yell, surprise, right? Right? So that's that's sort of in a very small scale of what we're dealing with with the return of Christ and that this is the longest surprise birthday party you've ever been to, right? Jesus is returning, but it's been a little while, a few years, right? Amen? Just a few. And, but the expectation still needs to be that Jesus is returning at any time, at any hour. Now, there was a gentleman... Uh, back in the, the 80s, perhaps you remember him, named Edgar Weisenot. Okay? 
Anybody know the name? Know where I'm going yet? Okay, so he's not that famous. Let me, let me help you out. Uh, he was a former NASA engineer and a Bible student that predicted that the rapture was going to happen. Jesus was going to return in 1988. Number 88 reasons why Jesus returns in 88. You guys didn't get any of this? I never, I was only 12, so, but I remember people in my circle speaking about, you know, and there was, I mean, this was on, it was uh, broadcast on major Christian television, how to prepare for Jesus' return, all these things, you know. And uh, so this guy published books on this, 88 Reasons Why Jesus, the Rapture Will Be in 1988, and then another book uh, on borrowed time. I think that was the follow-up because it didn't happen in 88. It was kind of kept getting extended. And uh, this guy went on and on with predictions, and then it went from 1988 to 1989 to 1993 to 1994, and then I think he finally hung it up after that. You know, I mean, and this guy actually, he said if, if the president was the king, he would actually, this guy said he would put his life on the line that Jesus was returning in 88. So fortunately, he met, I guess he lived to a nice old age and died a natural death. But in Mark 13, 32, we can read that it, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor even the Son, Jesus himself, but only the Father knows when Jesus is coming back. So in your Bibles in Matthew 24, I'm going to read through this. It's a little bit of, of scripture here. Uh, in verse 3, it says this, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, this is Jesus sitting, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased... The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again. Lord, we thank you for your word. I ask you just to bless it now. Uh, open our hearts just to receive what you have in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So. Again, no one knows the day or the hour. There is a time coming when Jesus is coming and is going to return to earth. Now, um, while we know that this is coming, and again, it has been a, a long period of time, and this is where some people have you know, struggled, like, well, when is it? I don't know about you. If, did anybody ever watch like, the Left Behind series, movies, and things, like the old ones? You know, I think it was a requirement in our church for every little kid to watch these things because it scared you into, you know, I think I, I, I asked for salvation probably 20 times as a child because of these things, just to make sure, because it's, you know, it's very, like, intense, and you're like, I don't want to be the one that's left. And so it was very, um, uh, it woke you up, 
you know, it kind of snaps you out of your day-to-day day stuff. And in the New Testament, there are terms for the second coming. There are three terms particularly I want to just speak on for a moment. One and the most common is called parousia. Parousia. And it literally means presence or coming. And it's interesting enough, it's a term that's used in the New Testament about a royal visit. Okay? So Jesus, when being referred to in the Bible and the words that are used, it's called parousia. And it literally means him present on earth. Another one you might be more familiar with is apocalypsis, all right, where apocalypse comes from. And this, again, means unveiling, all right, unveiling. So, once again, we know that God is present with us by his spirit. We know that there are things that happen in a spiritual realm that we cannot see. And at this point in time is when the unveiling will take place where we'll be able to see uh, what we have not been able to see before. And the third one is epiphania, again, where we get the word epiphany from, and it means appearing or manifestation, and it suggests a coming out into view from a hidden background, which goes in line with that same kind of feeling. So these are the words, the Greek words that are behind uh, when, you, when the, they speak of Jesus in the second coming. The second coming is, is foretold in the Bible. All right, by many people in many places. In the Old Testament in Daniel 7, 13 through 14, he says this, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Again, this has been prophesied from the Old Testament in a book where many prophecies have come true already, and we can be confident that this will come to pass as well. It was also prophesied or uh, spoke of by the angels at Jesus' ascension. All right, In Acts 1.11 it says this, They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? This is right after Jesus returned to heaven. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up for you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Again, you see this picture of these. I mean, it's probably pretty awe-inspiring watching Jesus ascend into heaven. And they're just standing there like in shock. And then these angels kind of come up like, hey, we got work to do. Right? You can't stand here just watching, but be encouraged that the same way you saw Jesus ascend, he will return. In Philippians 3.20, we see that it was foretold by the apostles. In this case, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, it was foretold by Jesus himself in Matthew 24.30, which reads, if I can find it, sorry. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is Jesus speaking himself of his return. And so we can have confidence that Jesus will return for his church. Amen? That's something that should, I hope, get you a little spooled up. Because that's a hope that we have. That is a hope of of our deliverance from this earth and all the turmoil that is here in this place. So my question to you, church, is what should we do in the meantime? What do we do while we wait? 
I don't know about you, I'm not always the best at multitasking. You know, a lot of times if I have something in the oven or on the stove, I just want to stand there. Whereas my wife can put something on the stove and then she can clean the house and do the laundry and write a book uh, before the, the dinner's done. You know, I can't do that. I have to be focused on exactly what's in front of me or otherwise it just it goes bad. We're not supposed to be like that when it comes to the arrival of Jesus for his church. We are supposed to be about our business, be aware of his return, but we are supposed to be doing something. We're supposed to be doing something. The first thing we need to do is we must be ready and watchful. We must be ready and watchful. In Matthew 24, again, we're going to pull a lot from Matthew here. Verses 42 through 44, it says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in which part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We do not want to be caught unprepared, do we, at the return of Jesus? And this is what Matthew, and Matthew's, what's being said here is, and it'll be in an hour that we do not expect, but it'll, it will happen, and we need to be ready, and we need to be watchful. The other thing we should be, another thing we should be doing at this time is we must remain faithful stewards, okay? We must remain faithful stewards. Again, out of Matthew, and this time in chapter 25, verse 14, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. And then he went away. This is the parable of the talents, if you've heard this before. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. And basically when the master goes and when the master returns... What does he ask each one? He says, what did you do with the talent that I left you? What did you do? And the first one says, well, I doubled it. You gave me 10, I I doubled it. Then the one gets five and he doubles it. But then what's interesting is the one that received the least, only one, what does he do? You remember? He goes and buries it. Right? He goes and buries it. And uh, he says here, you know, Master, I knew you, you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid, notice the word there, hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed, Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, church, we've all been given something by God. We've been given gifts. We've been given something that we have to share with the people around us. 
And a lot of times we can get caught up in looking at what the other person has and what we don't have. We can be caught up in saying, I, if only I had that gift, then I could really do something for God. And sometimes we spend a lot of our life trying to be like someone else or trying to be something that God has not intended us to be. And so a question to you today is, again, what has God given you? What gifts has God placed in you to be used for his glory and for his kingdom? And are you being faithful with those gifts? What are you doing with those gifts? Are you doing anything? Or do you find yourself more in the line where you've buried this gifts that God has placed in you? We also, during this time of waiting, we must be eagerly looking to his coming. Eagerly looking to his coming. In Philippians 3, verse 17 through 21, it says this, Brothers, join me in imitating him and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Again, we are to be looking eagerly at his coming and not fall into what these these people fell into. Notice Paul's anguish where he says, with tears, he's speaking of these people now that used to be brothers and sisters in the church and now are enemies of the cross. We must also, during this time of waiting, be prepared to endure suffering with patient endurance. And again, this is always the, the topic we don't really like to spend a lot of time in, isn't it? We want to kind of always focus on the other side of the valley, you know, from mountaintop to mountaintop. We just kind of skip from top to top, right? We don't really want to go through the valley. But all throughout the Word of God, if you read it in its entirety, suffering is included. Actually, suffering is expected if you choose to follow Jesus. This is why the image of carrying your cross is used. There's nothing beautiful about a cross in and of itself. It's amazing that only because the work that Jesus did on the cross can we look at the cross and, and find hope and find something much more. It's because Jesus turned that object of suffering into something else. But we cannot imagine that we are going to bypass suffering. In 1 Peter 3-7, through 7, I'll just start at verse 6. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, enduring suffering with patient endurance with patient endurance 
I don't know if you've seen people before that go through trials and they're those that go through and they, they get so down and, and they begin to become, they can become bitter. They can become angry. They become like, you just don't, it's hard to be around them. You know, there's other people that you see that go through and they're suffering. You see they're hurting, but you still see that, that God is doing something through this trial. You see, we, we want to move so quickly in to, to remove ourselves from this place of discomfort that sometimes we miss that God is refining and working something in us through the trial. This is why we were supposed to count it all joy, right? When we fall into these times of trial. I think that is like, just is, was there a typo there? You know, it's, it's hard to look at that and to read it and to really grasp and to, to embrace it. I'm supposed to be joy, have joy right now that I'm in this trial. And can we truly say that? Because as it says here, you're being tested. Your faith, the genuineness of your faith is being tested. And that's, that's not just for, for God's good, but for your good, so you know where you stand. I've said this, I think, once before. You know, if I went out and there's this big chasm and I, I go and organize all these things and I build a bridge... At some point, you have to step out onto the bridge to know if it's going to stand or not, don't you? At some point, you can build this magnificent structure and then just stand back and look at it and, are you going to go across? No, I'm not getting on that, but it looks amazing. But how many times does our Christian faith look like that to people around us? We can do all the actions and, you know, we've got the gold star for church attendance and you serve in every area of ministry and every time you walk through the door, you smile and, you know, you've got the pin, too blessed to be stressed and I'm great, how are you, you know, and your marriage has fallen apart, your kids can't stand you, you're about to lose your job because you stole a bunch of stuff, but you come to the church and everything's good, right? We need to be tested because we can play the part very well. But you really find out, don't you? Now stay with me. When somebody's going through it, when somebody's going through the mess, as we say, when it's down and dirty and it's ugly and things aren't going and you just don't know how it's going to work out, you find out where somebody is really quick, don't you? What is it they're saying? How are they acting? You know? We need that. We need that. We must also wait patiently. We must wait patiently. In James 5, 7, again, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Again, we want our reprieve from this place, but we just need to be patient and trust God. And that's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard because we want God to move now. We want God to, to do things on our timing and what we think, but we need to trust him and know that his timing is perfect. And during this time is also our incentive to holiness. Colossians 3 says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And in verse 5 it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and, which is idolatry. And in Second Peter, this is pretty interesting as well. Second Peter 3 
Verse 11, he says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now listen to this. Waiting for, okay, so we're waiting, right? We've talked about this. We've established that's what we're doing now. Do you feel like you're waiting for me to stop talking? Right, we're waiting, right? We're waiting for, but notice the next thing. It says, and hastening the coming of the day of God. Do you know what that means? It means that we have an active part in when the Lord returns. Because what is God doing? God is waiting because he wants the harvest to be as full as possible. He's waiting for that moment in time when he has the greatest catch, if you will. But notice, again, we're waiting, but we're also a part of. Why? That's why he gave a great commission. We're not supposed to sit on what we know, and we're not supposed to just keep under a a basket, as as the Word of God says, this light that we have. We're supposed to be sharing it with the world. And the sooner we start cooperating with God's plan and God's call the sooner God can and will return. Did you know that? We have an active part. And that's what's so scary is when you see churches and you see Christians that just, they're just kind of in their own little world and they just, they don't see anything around them. That's why things like what we saw today with Joanna, what she shared, there's a hurting world. There's places that need the light of Jesus. Maybe you're in a, a good place. Maybe you're surrounded by all these Christian people in your life and you're, everything's wonderful, but there's a big world out there and everyone needs to hear the good news. And finally, it is our incentive to mission. It is our incentive to mission, the expectancy of Jesus' return. And 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I like this. In verse 2 it says, that we are to preach the word. We're supposed to be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We've gotten away from that a lot in, in our time, in our PC world that we live in. We are supposed to challenge one another. We're supposed to, if you see something wrong with your brother or sister, you go to them, and you go to them in love, of course, knowing that you're just as fallible as they are, Right? But we're supposed to challenge one another. And this is why relationship is vital in the church. If you come in and out out of here and you don't know anybody besides their name, if you don't have people that are close to you to see the the, the down times when things aren't going well and that know you personally and know if you're struggling in your marriage or in your home or in, in any area of your life, you need somebody in there because you need somebody to challenge you And again, in a godly, loving way, we're supposed to do that. We're called to do that. All right? Not judge somebody, but to challenge each other. All right? To spur each other on. And in verse 5 there in 2 Timothy, he goes on to say, And as for you, always be sober-minded, once again, enduring suffering to the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And this is, he's talking to, uh, to Timothy, Paul is. But he could be talking to any one of us as well. You know, what is that for you? We're supposed to endure. We're supposed to do the work of whatever God, instead of an evangelist, if you're not an evangelist, that's fine. Just plug in what God has gifted you with, and are you doing it? Fulfill your ministry. (laughs) You don't have to be standing up here behind this pulpit just to be in ministry. Do you understand that? You each have a ministry. And if you don't, 
You need to figure out what that is. That's why the church is a great place. If you get plugged in and volunteer and you serve, it's a, you're doing ministry. But ministry carries far beyond the walls of this building, doesn't it? You know, you need to be going into people's homes. You need to be praying with people. Are you at your jobs? Are you ministering to people there? Where can you minister? And are you doing it? So I'm going to bring this to a close now with this question for you. Where are you at today? Obviously, I don't mean the building that you're sitting in. Where are you at today? Meaning, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus right now? Again, have you gotten in that groove where you're just kind of, you're sitting on it and you're just not, not doing much? And there's, don't get me wrong, there's seasons of transition, all right? If you're new to Kuwait or maybe in a life change and things like that, I understand that. But our problem is, is when we get stuck in places that we're supposed to be moving through. And so my question again, what are you doing with Jesus today? Again, our whole series, we began by trusting him. And in, in, the, in a big picture, you know, that's coming to Christ as Lord and Savior. Then you move from there and you worship him. And then you move from there and you share him with others. And then you move from there to looking for his return. Okay? But what I want us to do today is just for a moment is on a smaller scale... Can you say, day in and day out, are you trusting Jesus in your situation today? Are you trusting Jesus with providing for those needs that you are concerned about right now? Are you trusting Jesus with your future? Are you trusting Jesus for that cure for that loved one that's suffering right now with some disease? Are you trusting in Jesus Are you worshiping him? Are you worshiping him with your life? Are you worshiping him in every area? When we were here today gathered in this place singing, were you worshiping him or were you just saying words to some nice music in the background? Were you worshiping him with your heart today? Are you sharing him with others? When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time you prayed for somebody? Do you pray for people every day to, that God would bring people across your path to share the good news with them? Are you journeying with somebody? Are you walking out that road with them? And finally, are you looking for his return? Or have you got caught up with the comforts and with the things of this world? You see... When we focus our eyes and when we, like that birthday party scene I was telling you about, I mean, it's all anticipation is about when that door opens and that person comes through. And listen, church, it's, it's common. And if we're not careful, we can fall into this because if there's so many things in the world there to distract us, that's the enemy's plan is to distract us with our comforts, with our money, with our jobs, with all these things that are comfortable and bring us uh, short-term happiness that we lose sight of Jesus that we lose sight of that door that's about to open at any moment. We don't know. We just don't know. Sure, the Bible says there's signs and we know that things are getting bad. You know, we understand that. But 
We just don't know. And imagine, imagine if you would with me, a church where everybody in there wakes up every day and the first thing they do is they stop and they think that Jesus could come today. What can I get done before he arrives? Imagine how your perspective change doesn't it? It changes your whole outlook. It's like, I got to go. I need to do this. When you're talking to somebody, when you're sharing Jesus, listen, you need to understand this. He could come at any moment. And where will you be in, the, in eternity? Again, what will you do with Jesus? Trust him, worship him, share him, and look for his return. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we once again thank you for today. God, we thank you for this, this time. We thank you for this series, this message. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, as we, every morning when we wake up, I hope that we begin to build into our mornings this question, what will you do with Jesus today? What will you do with Jesus today? And Lord, I pray that this begins to shape our motives, what we do, the plans in our day. Lord, we know that we're here and many of us have to work jobs and we have responsibilities to family and, and those things are fine, they're good. But are we approaching them with this question in our mind? And if you're here today in this place, maybe you're back at the very beginning where you have yet to fully trust him. You have yet to say yes to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If that's you today, we're here and we can help you to move into that place where you can leave this place today trusting Jesus with all your heart. And if that is you, I would ask you just to see me following this service. And I want to challenge everybody here today. Lord God, help us when we come here and when we're singing, Lord, I pray that we are worshiping you with our whole heart in that time. God, and also not just in our singing, Lord, but in our lives through the week? Are we living out our life in such a way that we are worshiping you, that we are surrendering to you as Lord and Savior of our life? God, help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Help us to not be in such a hurry, which can happen in our busy lives at times, to not sense that somebody needs to hear about Jesus. Maybe it's that coworker that person sitting next to you, even in the restaurant. Maybe you see somebody crying in some public place. God, let us have the boldness to go up to them and ask if they're okay and if can we pray and just to trust you, Lord, that you're moving in that situation, that we might have an opportunity to share you with someone. And finally, God, let us always be looking for the return of your son, Jesus, in all the splendor and glory 
that is foretold in the Bible, to know that that's coming. And let us have the strength to carry on and to press through and to persevere until we see Jesus coming on the clouds like that or till we give up our last breath on this earth and we are present in glory with him. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for, again, every person here. We ask you to bless them. Keep them, Lord. Thank you for this church and for this opportunity to gather with the brothers and sisters in Christ, Father. In Jesus' name.